0: Matthew 28:16 Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Jesus himself was a man on a mission. And I mean that literally, but also the way that we mean that figuratively. Jesus was not one to just drift through life aimlessly. He was not carried about by culture. He didn't just look at, well, what does a... What does a first century Jew living in a rural community do? He did his own thing. He knew why he had come. He knew why the father had sent him. And he was laser focused on fulfilling that mission of why he had come. In Luke 4, 43, Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. In Luke 19, 10, he said, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In John 10:10, 10, 10, he said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And in Mark 10:45, he said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You can hear in each of those statements, he understood his purpose. He's saying, this is why either I came or this is why I was sent. And you can hear in those words, Jesus is not consumed with the kinds of things that we're often consumed by. He was not consumed with making money. He was not consumed with getting married. He was not consumed with living a comfortable life. He wasn't even consumed with having a good reputation for himself. He was consumed with preaching and living the gospel. His mission was to pursue the lost His mission was to accomplish for the lost what they could never accomplish for themselves so that, as he says here, they could have eternal and abundant, flourishing life. Okay, so that's Jesus. Why is this the last message of following Jesus and talking about apprenticing ourselves to Jesus? And here are the four things I want us to see this morning. There's a call to mission. There's a meaning of mission. There's an essence of mission, and then there's a practice. And with this last point, I just want to be very practical and just kind of give you some tools in your toolbox for like, what do I do with this? And how would this look in everyday life? So beginning with the call to mission, what I just did for you is I, I showed you in Jesus' own words, his understanding of his call to mission, his understanding of why he was sent Now let's listen to how he turns this around and passes this off to a next generation of disciples. And do you know that each of the four Gospels, the Gospels are the stories of Jesus' life. They're narratives. They contain his teachings, his prayers. Each of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, plus the book of Acts, contain Jesus' words after he had died and was risen and before he ascends back to the Father, and so these are, these are powerful and important words for a couple reasons. Number one, Jesus had accomplished all that he came to do. And he says that on the cross as he's laying down his life. He says, it has been finished. Payment has been made for sin. Everything that's necessary to reconcile people back to the Father, it's been done. Now I give my life. And when he comes out of that tomb, having conquered death itself, now he's passing the torch, as it were, to the next generation, to his disciples, his students, his apprentices. Um, Secondly, these are incredibly important because you think of spending years, three years, walking around with Jesus, listening to Jesus, doing everyday life with Jesus. And you've heard lots and lots and lots of things that he said. You've observed a lot of things that he's done. But now he's saying, just before I go back to the Father, here's the last thing I want to say to you. And you know that those are incredibly important words if he's saying, I've distilled it all down, and this is the last thing I want you to hear me say ever, like in this way of just talking face-to-face. And I want to read these with you. And I don't want you to hear Jesus saying five different things in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. I want you to hear him saying one thing five different ways. To put it differently, these are five facets of like one gemstone of the gospel, Beginning in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20, what what Edith just read with us, but hear it once again. And Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, "'All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations.'" Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Mark 16:15. And he said to them, again, "The disciples, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation." Luke 24: 47 through49. He says, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in my name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. John 20, 21 and 22, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit when he comes. And then Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what I want you to hear Jesus saying in so many words is, my mission is now your mission. Okay, so what you've seen me do, now go and do the very same thing. What you've heard me say as the core of my ministry on earth, go and say those same things. And now I think a fair question, or some of you may even think of it as an objection, goes something like this. Yeah, I see that Jesus called his first 11, you know, one of them's dead. Judas is dead. But you can say, I hear Jesus saying this to the first 11 disciples, but what's that got to do with me? Okay, that's, that's his commission to them. What's that got to do with me? And I, and I often hear something like this. Um, they were basically seminary students. They were pastors and missionaries. I mean, they were specially trained for this gospel commission. And you may think, I'm just a teacher, a contractor, an accountant, a lawyer, a nurse, a therapist, an engineer, a retail clerk, an office admin. What, what makes you think that this is God's call on my life when Jesus is talking to them and not me? And it's fair to look at things and say, is Jesus saying that just to them? Or is he saying that to them and to people like me? But when Jesus says, like, put out in the deep and lower your nets... or or bring me the five loaves and two fish, or go untie the baby donkey and bring it here, or sell your cloak and buy a sword, none of you are rushing out to put down your nets and find a sword, right? Because you're like, there's a context. He was talking to them. that's, That's not a timeless truth for all of us to embrace. So, Context matters. How the Bible speaks of the same thing matters. How the early church understand understood Jesus' words. All those things matter. But as I've said throughout this series, this whole rabbinic model and why we've just kind of really dug into this and unearthed some really beautiful and amazing stuff in this rabbinic model is because, foundationally, what we're meant to understand is if Jesus is a rabbi and he had initial disciples, and then we also are his disciples or followers or apprentices, the whole point of the rabbinic model of discipleship is that we, the disciples, would do the mission that Jesus did. Because that's what discipleship was always about. You learn what was the core of the teacher's teaching. What was the core of his life? What was the irreducible minimum of his mission? Because that is automatically the irreducible minimum of my mission as well, even if Jesus never explicitly said that. But Jesus did explicitly say that. And I'll get into this a little bit deeper in just a moment, but remember the basic idea that Jesus says to his disciples, your mission is to make disciples disciples who make disciples, who make disciples. And after generations of that, if you're this morning a believer in Jesus, he's talking about you. You are in a series of disciples who someone's made you a disciple and you are called to go and make disciples. And uh, let, me just, let me just pump the brakes also on this notion that the first disciples were highly specialized missionaries. They were fishermen. Uh, And and one was a zealot, which which means he wanted to go around and slit Romans' throats. And one was a tax collector, which means all of his own people hated him because he was a traitor. I mean, they're they're just a bunch of blue-collar nobodies. That's who Jesus called to be his disciples. they're, They're honestly a lot more like us then we may give them credit for. They were not seminary students, pastors, and missionaries until the moment that they realized God sent me to be a missionary, okay? So, to summarize that first point, the call to discipleship is a call to mission. Those are inherently the same thing, okay? So, if you believe in Jesus, you follow Jesus, you're like, yes, I'm an apprenticeship to Jesus, you are called to be about his mission, not your own. So, Let's, let's talk about that. First of all, let me, let me mention the meaning of mission, point two. Mission comes from a Latin word that means to send, to send. So when we talk about the mission of Jesus, we're talking about what is it that the Father sent Jesus into the world to do? And when we talk about our mission, we're talking about what is it that Jesus now has sent us into the world to do? By the way, did you know the word apostle literally means sent ones? Um, You're switching to Greek from Latin, but when the disciples, the learners, the pupils, the students, became apostles the moment Jesus said, now you've learned enough from me as your rabbi, go and do what you've seen me do. Go and say what you've heard me say. That's how they become apostles. Apostles. So there's a sense in which they were special, they were the first apostles, but there's also a sense in which we are apostolic in our calling because we too are sent by Jesus into our world, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces with a mission. And and I hope you notice that sending component in each of the statements of the Great Commission. Jesus says, go, go, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Start in Jerusalem and then go to the next place and go to the next place. And you're, you're preaching the gospel. But that I think it's interesting that there is that sending mission component to each of these. After 9-11, Osama bin Laden was pretty quickly identified as the prime suspect, or we could say the mastermind behind the terrorist attacks of 9-11. So... Navy seals and others were sent halfway around the world to Afghanistan and to Pakistan and they had a mission and that mission was eliminate bin Laden now a lot of logistics had to go into that mission you know they needed food they needed ammunition they needed to travel, they needed to learn linguistics, they needed maps and schedules and surveillance, and in the meantime, the soldiers are you know, able to write home, and their families could write to them and send care packages back and forth, and, and, and all those things were important, but all of those things were important as they supported the core mission to eliminate a terrorist, Okay. Now, in a similar sense, there are many, many things that we do as Christians that are important. They are valuable. They're meaningful. They honor God. But there's only one core mission. In the book, What is the Mission of the Church? We read this. Mission is not everything we do in Jesus' name, nor everything we do in obedience to Christ. Mission is the task we are given to fulfill. It's what Jesus sends us into the world to do. So what is that? What is the thing that Jesus sends us into the world to do? And I want you to just think about that for a moment. How would you answer that? Or have you even thought about that question? What is it that as a follower of Jesus Christ, what is it that he sent me into the world to do? See, I'm not just going to work. I'm sent into my work. I'm not just going to school. I'm sent into my school. I'm not just living in my neighborhood. I'm sent into my neighborhood. What were you sent to do? And this is point three, the essence of mission. And in one sense, we've already begun to, under, to, to answer the question because we already saw that Jesus said, as the father sent me, even so I'm sending you. And if that's all you had, you could look back into the gospels and say, okay, how did the father send Jesus, the son? And, and what did Jesus do? Because if he says, I'm sending my disciples in the way that I've been sent, we could already flesh this out. But we don't have to because he gives us these five explicit statements. Go and do this. What's this? Well, three things I want you to kind of focus this mission on. And the first is the essence of your mission. Whoever you are as a Jesus follower is share the gospel. Okay, the gospel is the good news of salvation in Jesus alone or it's it's the good news of the kingdom that Jesus reigns that Jesus has all authority that Jesus is king and that he calls you into his kingdom by grace and he rules over you in a way that doesn't diminish or demean you but in a way that leads to flourishing so through the life the death the resurrection of Jesus you are forgiven you are liberated you are adopted into his family you are reconciled to the father You have the free gift of eternal life. You have the free gift of abundant life, as Jesus said, okay? So Jesus is very clear about this. He just says, go into all the world and proclaim that good news. Tell people about repentance. Tell people about forgiveness of sins. Tell people Jesus has done for you what you can never do for yourself. So so lay down your performance laid down your doing good works to try to earn something. Do good works because Jesus earned it and he gave it to you and now empowers you to go and live a certain kind of life. So the essence of the mission is share the gospel, now part two, and make disciples, okay? So we're not just sharing the gospel into the air and being like, well, I don't, I don't care what happens with this as I share this good news of Jesus Jesus is very clear. No, your your mission is to go, and as you go, you are making disciples of me. Okay? So, as we say, and I've been using this terminology all along, as we say, I am one who wants to live my life in apprenticeship to Jesus. I want him to teach me, I want him to imprint his life on mine. So, the mission is that as I go and I'm sharing the gospel with other people, I want other people to come and say, is there room in this class for me? Could I be welcome here to sit under the same teacher and learn the same stuff and grow in my imitation of him and grow in replication? Remember that that's the end of discipleship is not just me knowing stuff, let alone me simply doing things. The end of the rabbinic discipleship model is that we then go and replicate what that teacher looks like. We call other people to come and look like that teacher. So we're proclaiming the gospel to make disciples, thirdly, in the power of the Spirit. And I don't want to leave that component out because I think it's, it's a critical component of our mission. And it's so critical that Jesus mentioned it over and over. Remain here until power comes upon you. Sometimes he's just explicit, the Spirit. And I say this is critical because how will ordinary people like fishermen and a tax collector and a zealot and blue-collar nobodies, how will they go on mission and fundamentally transform the world? And the answer is, they, they can't do that on their own. They can't do that simply because they heard what Jesus said for three years. They need the spirit. They need his power. They need his wisdom. They need His ability at work in them. Jesus is not coming to them and saying, guys, I I see so much potential in you. Why did I pick you? I mean, come on. Everybody knows. Peter, James, and John, you guys are rock stars. Do you know Jesus didn't choose His disciples because of who they were? He chose them because who He is. He didn't choose them because of something that He saw in them, He chose them because of something he knew he was going to give them. So, Jesus is not, to put it another way, he's not calling the equipped. He is equipping the called. And he's equipping them not just with a message, a gospel, but he's also equipping them, so importantly, with his own power. And this is why he doesn't say, I see something in you guys just untapped potential. And if you look deep inside, you're going to see it too. You're going to see what I see, and I'm just affirming you. No, what he says is, I have all authority in heaven and earth. What he says is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What he says is, I am with you always to the end of the age, so you can go and you can do what I've called you to do. And then Jesus went away. And the Bible says he ascended to heaven and the disciples just sat there, and they waited, and they prayed, and I'm sure they were scared, and I'm sure they were like, what's going on? And 40 days later, at Pentecost, the Bible says the Spirit comes in power upon them. And suddenly, these men who were timid and afraid and didn't believe the resurrection until they saw it with their own eyes and touched the resurrection of Jesus with their own hands, suddenly they're out preaching the same gospel to a very hostile crowd in Jerusalem who just days earlier had executed Jesus. By the way, do you know this? Who preached the first sermon in the early church after Jesus is gone and the Spirit comes? It's this guy named Peter who, again, 40 days earlier, this little maid girl, this little nobody is like, oh, you're a friend of Jesus. You're a disciple of Jesus. And he's like, I don't even know the guy. Don't even know him completely disassociates from Jesus because he's scared. But now the Spirit comes in power and everything is transformed. And he realizes, I now have a courage, a boldness that I never had before. I now have a wisdom to speak truth and goodness that I never had before. I now have an ability to proclaim Jesus in everyday life that I didn't have before because the Spirit has come. So the essence of our mission is to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. And if you're still thinking, that's great, that was them, I'm me, that's not my mission, then what is your mission? If you're going to say that's not mine, then what is your mission? And on what authority do you conclude that that is your mission from God? Because we all have a mission from God. Like, what other text of Scripture are you looking to and saying, that's not my mission, but here is my mission, this is what God sent me to do? Because God has sent all of you, again, into your world, into your community, on mission. And let me just share with you one more text here. If you're thinking, I don't know that that's me, I, maybe some of you would even wish that it was you. You would wish that you had that kind of power and authority from God. Or maybe you're scared, or maybe you just want to fit in. But here are these words from 2 Corinthians 5 18 through 20. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Well, who's, who's us in this passage when he says, God has given us the ministry of reconciling broken, sinful people to a loving Holy Father, who's us. Well, he says in context, it's, it's anyone who's in Christ. It's everyone who's in Christ. Because you're a new creation, you have a new mission. And I love this word ambassador because it's something we can relate to. You know, we, we have a United Nations and whether you love that or hate that, the reality is we don't all go to the UN building in New York, right? The ambassador goes. And the ambassador, whether it's a he or she, and we've had both, but the ambassador goes and says, my job here is not to represent my own interests, my own opinions, my own perspective on everything. My role here is to go and represent the interests of my country, the interests of those who are uh, my authority. So I'm I'm not just saying whatever I want to say. I'm advocating for someone else's message in a representative way that has a multiplier effect. This affects lots and lots of people because I'm saying what someone else believes, what someone else thinks. And I take that message up as my own and I speak it. And I want you to notice the same thing here that I asked you to notice with the first disciples, that Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, a city very much like Denver, in that it is uh, is a literal commercial crossroads, a hub of industry a hub of entertainment. It was also an incredibly immoral place. To Corinthianize was slang for fornication. So he's talking to people who are coming out of a broken, busy city. And these are just tradespeople. They're just normal people. Like, they're not seminary students. They're not college students. They're not pastors and missionaries. Just average people. And he says, you all our new creation in Christ, you all are representatives. You all are ambassadors. Now go help people come back to the Father. Help people understand that Jesus has done something that has broken down the barrier of sin and has welcomed with open arms all who come to him in faith. That is the essence of our mission, family. Again, not that you would point to someone else and say, well, that's, that's your calling as a pastor or that's, you know, we send international missionaries to to Lebanon and to Kenya and to Liberia and to Taiwan and to these other places. It's their job. No, it's, he's saying it's, it's all of our job. So this final point then, how do we practice that? How do we do that? Because one thing's clear to me, most of you are not called to full-time vocational ministry like a couple of us are, okay? That is not your calling. And I'm not trying to change your calling and say, we should all be pastors. We we shouldn't be. We're, we're sent into the world with all kinds of different, you know, personalities and interests and abilities and vocations so that the light is being shined in all those places, through all those different personalities, in all those vocations and places. Okay, so... Because most of you are not called to do this full-time vocationally, the mission of Jesus has to be something practical that you can weave into everyday life and it not be this weird one-off thing that you're just like, uh, I guess at the lunchroom, at office, I guess I'll do that thing that I've heard other people do and I'll be like, hey, Debbie, Uh Do you know where you'd go if you died tonight? The weirder that we make it, the weirder it will be and the harder it will be to do. So let me give you, I'm going to give you four S's and this is how we practice mission. And I wanted to tell you to pray. That's the first one, but it had to be an S. So supplicate, okay? (laughs) Supplicate. And I'm actually okay with that word because we're not just praying. We're praying a specific kind of prayer. And there is a specific kind of prayer that Jesus taught us, and it's called supplication. Supplication, if you don't know, is a specific, it's like a petitionary kind of prayer. We're not just praying Thanksgiving or Father, help me with my things. We're, we're saying like, I see someone else over here, and I'm interceding for them. I'm praying on their behalf and asking you to do something. So I see supplication two ways. Number one, pray for specific people by name, and you think about your, your relational community in your work, at the gym, uh, maybe even like a barista or someone in a retail place that you see often, and you're just like, God, this person and this person and this person, this by name, write their names down. Secondly, pray, supplicate for God to raise up and equip more people to have the boldness and the humility and the intentionality to share Jesus. Do you know Jesus taught his disciples to pray that? I mean, we're, we're sitting here thinking, I think oftentimes in Christianity, and I could do it walking in this neighborhood. You, you ever walk, walk a neighborhood and just see people who are e- either just like so turned against God or maybe to see someone you're like, there's no way that person gets saved. Oh, because they're not like you, right? That's, that's really what you're saying. People like me can get saved, but people like them are unsavable, then you don't understand God's grace, okay? But, but Jesus did not say, just go. And he didn't say, yeah, there's a problem because if you look out there, there's just not very many savable people. He actually said the opposite. He said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Metaphorically, he says, they are white for harvest. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of harvest will send more laborers into his harvest, in other words, there's, there's souls that are, that are savable, and God's going to do a work. And he's like, not only pray for those people by name, but pray, God, would you raise up other people with the tenacity and the boldness and the courage and the love in their hearts for fellow men and women and children to, to speak truth to them, to speak grace to them? And I do this test in my own mind once in a while when I'm thinking like, okay, who is on my short list? Who am I praying And family, if God saved every single person that you prayed for by name yesterday, who would come into the kingdom today? If God's just like, I have seen you praying and praying and praying and praying and praying praying for those people by name as part of your mission to bring people in and make them disciples of me, I'm gonna answer that prayer. And God loves to answer that kind of prayer. So, supplicate. Who's on your short list? Will you make a short list today if you don't have one? And begin this habit of just praying for people. Secondly, share. And I think that's obvious, but how are people supposed to know the good news unless you tell them? And that Paul makes that argument in Romans 10. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Great. He's like, but how are they going to call on him if they've never heard of him, how are they going to hear without someone telling them? Okay? One of my most hated phrases of all time is, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That is terrible theology because the gospel is good news. The gospel is words. And the idea that you could ever proclaim the gospel without words is, is crazy you're like well no if i'm if i'm being kind and generous and helpful and nice then then people will conclude that you are kind and helpful and generous and nice that doesn't teach them about jesus the messiah okay and we're not trying to point to our own goodness by by these quiet works of you know social justice or just helping our neighbor and being like well i don't i don't want to step on their toes and mention jesus well, they'll end up concluding that you're a nice person. But that doesn't win them to salvation. So we have to speak the message of Jesus. Here's what Jesus did for me. Often you can just use it as a testimony. Here's what Jesus did for me. Um, Jesus did the same for you. We have to stop being timid, afraid, driven by other people's opinion of us. There are people out there that hate God. They're they're not going to pat you on the back and be like, way to go. Thanks for sharing that with me. Jesus tells you that up front. He's like, a lot of people are going to be opposed to this. But if we don't share the message, people can't come home to God. Now, that said, if you are telling people the good news, then by all means, share with your life. All I'm saying is your life alone doesn't work. You can't just be like, I'll just, I'll just be the light. I'll be the message. Well, you can't. But as you're sharing the message, then your life will either confirm or contradict the message, okay? And maybe, maybe others of you, like me, you've been in a like, corporate culture or maybe even a church culture where you're like, oh, now that I'm in here, what they say the culture is is very different than the actual culture. They, they say that these things are important, but then functionally something else is actually where, where it's at, and that becomes a very toxic work culture. You're like, I don't, I don't want to be here. There's a disconnect between the message and the medium, or between the, the dialogue and the actual culture. So it is important that as you share the good news verbally, that you do things with your life that look like Jesus that, that on the whole make Jesus more attractive to people. I think we should be winsome, but I don't think we should be so afraid of being winsome at every moment that we don't just speak the truth in love, which sometimes will land as conviction. So supplicate, share, thirdly, support. What I mean is another way that you can proactively engage in Jesus' mission is you put your time and money toward this, Okay. And I'd be thrilled, you know, like in your generosity, it's not like I'm just asking you, you, give your money to us and only us, like the church, okay, support us. You can look at other causes, you can look at missionaries, and I know many of you do this. You have a friend that you went to college with, or someone you grew up with, or someone you've made a connection with here through church, and you're supporting them directly and saying, even as I seek to live on mission here, I want to support your mission. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. But I also want you to know I'm writing a check. I'm, I'm spending time. I'm investing in supporting. And we have many, many local ministries that are part of our church, but that are also like in this neighborhood and in your neighborhoods where you live and work and play that you can support with your time, with your, you, you can donate generously to further the mission of Jesus. And then fourthly, streamline, streamline, focus. If you are on the mission to find bin Laden... You couldn't take your house and your apartment, your car, your big screen TV. You had to leave stuff behind that doesn't further the mission. It's just the way it goes. You know, athletes who are training their body for the mission of just winning a gold medal or winning a championship, they leave all kinds of stuff behind them that is not bad stuff. It's just not stuff that helps them accomplish the mission. And I think there's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff in all of our lives that you would say, is it sinful to have this or to do this or to spend? Like, no, it's not sinful. Does it help you further the mission? No. Okay, so I'm, I'm inviting you with this streamline point to evaluate different facets of your life. I mean, as nitty-gritty as, like, you, you look at your schedule, you look at your budget, you look at your relationships, you look at your career, you look at your hobbies, you look at all these things, and you're just like, is, is this helping me further the mission of proclaiming the gospel in word and deed and making disciples in the power of the Spirit? To put it positively now, you are welcome to do anything that furthers the mission. You're welcome to do anything. I mean, that, that leaves it wide open and pretty subjective for God to just help you with this. If it furthers the mission of bringing people to Jesus, you're welcome to do it. You're welcome to have it. But I also want you to think, just think differently and intentionally about a lot of things. There are a lot of things in life that are, that like, that object itself or that job or that thing or that relationship in a way is neutral. What are you doing with it? Are you, are you leveraging it to accomplish the mission of bringing people to Jesus or is it just a thing? Because I I, I venture to say almost anything in your life that is neutral like that, you could, with a degree of intentionality and prayer and commitment to the mission, you could use it to further what God has sent you into the world to do. Like your career. Your work could be all about you. You can say, My mission with work is my reputation. My mission with work is to make more money. My mission with work is to accrue a certain position by a certain point in life so I can retire early, so I can have fun and relax and have leisure for a chunk of the end of my life, you know, before I go home and meet God. Or you could look at your career and say, This is my platform for proclaiming Christ and I heard a professional athlete say that the other day and he, he did more than just like the I just want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ you know and you're like what he said being able to play in the NFL is this is my platform my life is about Jesus my life is about bringing people to Jesus this just happens to be my platform for where I can do that and how I can do that. And I thought that's a really cool way. That's a really helpful way to think about it. Your job, your work, your school, your neighborhood. Like it's, it's a platform. Your personality, it's a platform for reaching maybe a particular kind of person that hears something from you that resonates with them. And you're planting seeds all the time, but you're using whatever God has given you to say, how is this furthering your mission and not just my own mission? And I don't want to saddle you with false guilt, okay? I'm not, there there are plenty of other good and God honoring things that you can and should do with your life. I mentioned one a few weeks ago with like Sabbath and rest, but you can look at those different things and not think like, oh, I'm guilty for resting. I should be out knocking on doors or something. Well, no. But even rest, even Sabbath, you could think, if this is my life's mission, then I need to rest. I need to be renewed by God and realize it's not me going, 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 going all the time that's gonna bring people in. Yes, God wants to work through me. Yes, he wants to sow through me. Yes, he wants to bring people through me. But there are plenty of other good things, worshipful things, enjoyable things that you can do with your life. I'm just, I'm asking, I'm begging you to just, Add had this degree of intentionality to say, how is this contributing to this overall mission? If it's like bringing your pool table to Pakistan to find bin Laden, then you got to let some things go. Be honest about it. Like, this serves no purpose. You know, Marie Kondo it, right? Just be like, bless it and send it on its way. It doesn't need to be a part of my life. Just going to give you a, like a one sentence bonus point. The reward of mission. The reward of mission. Have any of you, and don't raise your hand, any of you ever had the joy of leading someone to Christ and, and hearing them maybe say like, I was lost but now I'm found. I was walking in darkness and I see the light. I, I didn't know love and now I know love. I wasn't accepted but now I'm accepted. The reward of this mission, it's inherent to it, is that you have the joy not just of sowing, but you have the joy of reaping and seeing God bear fruit in other people's lives. And like one of my prayers for this church is that we could just like kind of permanently leave a baptismal tank up here and just because you're all so busy going about God's mission in your work, in your vocation, as you go to the gym, as you have fun, as you travel on vacation enjoy God's world. It's all part of it. But you're like, but but proclaiming and living the gospel is so important and and we're praying for people and we're sharing this good news and we're living it out together and person after person after person is coming to Christ and being baptized and associating with him. Be awesome. What are we doing with our lives if this is not a practice, maybe the practice, of living on Jesus' mission.